Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Everybody's Bad with Money. I'm Amelie. And I'm AJ. We're so excited to be back with you again. Podcast number four, we're doing it. Woo! (laughs) How are you doing today, AJ? I am a little tired. I just did um, community acupuncture, which is an incredibly amazing, affordable way to do acupuncture. Every state and many, many cities should have it. You should check out if you have been interested in community acupuncture, you should check out community acupuncture. It's a great way to start. And they're taking all COVID precautions. So the place I go is um, Blue uh, Little Bird Community Acupuncture in Washington, D.C. I couldn't recommend it enough. Sarah is amazing. Um, another just shout out uh, is like group Reiki sessions. That's another mm-hmm. great way to like make a smaller investment, um, but really learn the benefits of Reiki healing. And my best friend since I was two, Carly Aliota, does Reiki sessions. We'll put those in the show notes. Um, she does group and private sessions. So yeah, and I've done great. Great. And I've done some private sessions with her as well. And I was a little skeptical, like, cause I'd never done Reiki before, but I'd heard from a couple of people who have done it with her specifically that it was life-changing and I really have loved it. And I've kept, I think I've done it like three times with her now. Um, and she's amazing. So yeah. highly recommend. She's my uh, friend to walk this life for this life with. <laughs> <laughs> outside today. That's okay. Acupuncture will do that. Yeah. Um, can you How tell you? us more? What is that? Uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, can you tell us more about what that looks like? Like what's the difference between okay. doing it on your own and in a community setting? So um, basically the concept of community acupuncture is, is that you can get every, you can get to every part of the body through the meridian lines in the hands, the neck, face and feet and like to the knees, you don't have to go touch all the parts of the body um, to be able to feel the benefits of uh, acupuncture. I've been, I've done private acupuncture where like they've worked on an injury, like they'll like work on my thumb in a certain way. Whereas this is more like full body Mm opening up channels, you let her know what areas you want to focus on. If it's like a pain or an emotion or stress or something like that. And then she puts the, um, the acupuncture points in, um, in the right places that they're supposed to go. And I've like, I'm a skeptic. So I like look around and like, everybody's are in completely different places. So I know she's not just like putting them all in the same spot for everybody. Um, And yeah, I always find that I sleep much better when I go and I have great bowel movements. Nice. What's important? Um, Yeah. And TBD, I think you mean TMI. TMI. (laughs) TBD, TMI. Well, I guess it is TBD too, since Uh, you just got it done. Oh, right. It is TBD. I'll I'll let you guys know next next podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so... Um, the rates are like 25 to 45, I think for a drop in. And I think that, um, what are they called? Um, I've never worked at a company that offers it when you have like, um, a card that goes directly to medical stuff. FSA. FSA. I think FSA is also covered, uh, covers it. So that's pretty dope. I'm, I'm signing up for an FSA for my first time 
during open enrollment with my company. Awesome. And I didn't know anything about it until this time around. And I've had a lot of experiences this year where doctors have told me like, you can use your FSA for this. And I never really knew what it was. Um, and I'm still not like the best person to explain it, but it's basically just using like pre-tax dollars that are set aside for you to use only on medical things. Um, and you do have to use them within the course of a year, but it's really awesome because it's kind of like a separate account where you can, where money goes pre-tax for you to use on a lot of different medical stuff. You can use it on co-pays, acupuncture, um, like different blood tests and things like that. And I think it's a huge benefit that people often overlook or don't know about. Well, a couple of other benefits is that you don't have to use it up. It just, the money rolls over. Um, Are you sure? In most of them. Yeah. I was talking to my girlfriend about it, who's setting up one now too. And she was working with our friend who's a financial advisor. And the reason why I know that is because there's a tax benefit. Obviously it's prepaid tax. So it's, so basically it's, if you're creating your long-term um, financial plan, it's a great place to put money, um, especially if you're trying to allocate, you know, it's so that you get tax benefits essentially. Yeah, right. And, um, and it's a good place to just put that money and let it kind of sit there. And there are some FSAs that actually invest in the market. So you can keep putting, it's, a, it's an option. It's one of the many options for retirement of places where you can put money because eventually, I mean, you're going to be using that all the time when you're 75 and older. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. I think it does depend on the company. I'm, I'm not sure that my company lets you roll over at least maybe some of it, but not all of it. Like some, some companies make you use it by the end of the year. So I think it just totally depends. Yeah. Um, but I still think it's like a really good, good way of using your money. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. totally. I mean, you're going to need it. Yeah, it's true. Cool. Um, I think you asked me a long time ago how I am. So I'm going to jump in and answer that yeah. question. Yeah. Um, I'm doing great. Honestly, I had an amazing weekend. It was so beautiful out and I got to spend like a ton of time outside and just like good vibes and good energy going on in the country and the world right now. So I'm feeling good. Um, I don't really have too much to report. I'm really excited for the topic that we're discussing today because it's near and dear to my heart. <laughs> Which is da, 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 women and money. Woo! Woo! Um, yeah, and I mean, we are going to briefly touch on this topic today and then touch on it thousands of other times throughout this podcast. It's just like a common theme for us that we're going to be revisiting, but we have some specific subject areas we're going to get into today. Um, and I think this information is really good for just like all women and people to know about because it's something that a lot of people don't talk about. And so I'm super excited for the information that we have to share. And, and yeah, I think we should dive right in. Yeah, let's go. So I guess my first question to you, Amelie, is when did you, what was your belief about being a woman and having or earning money? <laughs> what a question. Oh my <laughs> God. All right. Um, I mean, where to even start with this question? I think that 
Well, I guess it would, for me, I would start in childhood and just witnessing the way that my parents handled money, which for me was that my dad handled all the money, mm-hmm. which I think happens in so many households. Um, and I talked about this a little bit in my money story, but my parents just like fought about money a lot. They came from different places, like financially and different families. And so when they got together, it was just like a big source of conflict. And so the way that they dealt with that is by kind of not talking about it. And so my dad would handle the money. And I think, I mean, I don't know exactly, but I'm, there were times where I remember my mom saying like, I don't even know what, how much money we have in our accounts. And even from a young age, I was like, that doesn't make sense to me. You know, like, shouldn't you know what, like where your money's coming from and how much you have? And it honestly made me nervous. It made me nervous that like my mom was spending money and that they would fight about it, but that she didn't know what was going on. So what did that make you think about money and yourself? It made me think that, I think it made me, well, it made me think that like, that was the way that all families handled money. And that like, as a woman, you weren't supposed to really know about money or like know what was going on. And so then in bring, like bridging my, into adulthood, I feel like I really t- took on that mentality and was like, I, sh- I, I like don't know how to check a bank account, but it's okay. Cause like eventually someone's going to do it for me kind of. Yeah. And like you were with Frankie, you've been with Frankie since college, right? So at very end of college, very yeah. end of college. So like in the back of your mind, did you think that eventually Frankie was just going to handle your finances? Like even when you were in a lot of debt and stuff? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think it's like, I almost don't want to admit it now because I'm like, I, I don't like thinking about it. <laughs> I'm like, no, like I'm on top of my money. It's mine. I don't, yeah. I think subconsciously, I just thought that like someone was going to come save me. Yeah. And someone was going to get me out of debt and someone was going to provide for me. Um, and I, I also just like, and we'll talk about this throughout the course of this episode, but like, I didn't know how to advocate for myself and I didn't know what I was worth and how to even begin to figure that out. You know, like I didn't know how much money I should be making and how to, how to figure out how much money I should be making for a job. And so yeah, just like a lot of confusion and a lot of like unanswered questions, I think. Mm. Cool. So different from my beliefs around money growing up because mm. I was raised by a extremely successful mom and all of my friends, most of my friends' parents also had extremely successful moms like growing up in Manhattan, um, like, awesome. o- like owning clothing stores, owning... Um, owning like designer, like owning a designer clothing line um, and or doctors. Like I just never, I was, women could do anything. Like that's how I was raised. And my dad made very little money. So I didn't grow up thinking that women couldn't. I, I thought that I could earn a lot of money. I just, I, the way the beliefs that I had was that money was fluctuating it was always a fluctuating thing. And there was no such thing as like stability. And I never, re- I didn't understand how money worked. What, yeah. Like 
I would see somebody who like grew up on Long Island who had a house and I'm like, but they can't have as much money as me growing up in an apartment because they don't spend it this, this, this in way. So I didn't, I didn't understand how money worked because money was in and money was out and money was in and money was out. And that was the pattern that I repeated when I was finally able to have my own money, money was in, money was out. Yeah. Um, and very like it, like to the next moment, there was no long-term planning and getting, becoming financially independent and financially free is thinking long-term about your finances. Like I was working with a client today and we were going over her debt repayment plan. And I was like, I know that there's that desire to pay it off immediately, but it is going to take 18 months for you to get out of debt. However, this is the base. Now you can earn more money. You can spend less, but this is how long it's going to take you with this plan. And now, you know, you have an exit strategy. You see the date it's July, 2022, like you're done. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah. That's so interesting. I also think one like really interesting thing about growing up with the way that my parents handled money is that it made me like there on one hand, it made me scared and afraid and I didn't want to talk about money. But then on the other hand, I also like didn't want to end up in a situation where I fought with my partner about money. Mm. And so I think I decided from a really young age that I wasn't going to rely on somebody else to make money for me. Like yeah. I wanted to have my own money and I was super determined to like do really well for myself. So it's weird because on one hand, I feel like I did want somebody to come in and save me. But then on the other hand, I had this like innate drive to support myself. Like I didn't know exactly what that was going to look like, but I had, but I knew that I needed that for myself, I am which sim- is really interesting. Well, I'm similar. And I think the way that I would describe that is that you were driven, you were driven to make money, but you were waiting for someone to fix what you did with your money. A hundred percent. Like yep. you were waiting for someone to fix the debt. You were waiting for someone to fix yep. the gross, uncomfortable stuff, filing taxes, yep. all that stuff, but you were happy to earn your own money. Exactly. And that is actually a fantastic segue into what I want to bring up, which is like how we have as women, you know, I get really, I just feel like a lot of the conversation around the wage gap is missing a lot of core valuable information. Um, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm not like a conspiracy theorist who's like, this is a lie. I'm just saying there's lots of variables that don't get included in that conversation. Um, and one of the things I want to say is that women 51 in, we have more power than men right now in terms of like, uh, let me just articulate myself better. So women control 51% of personal wealth in the United States. And if you think about consumerism, everything is geared towards women except for like big fancy toys that are geared towards men but like we are the main consumer and we have so much more wealth than we have ever had before and we are incredibly financially illiterate so so you're dealing with a situation where women have more than ever before are spending more than they ever have and have so little knowledge when it comes to what to do with their money, that is a huge part of the disparity, not just what a woman brings in. And 
ultimately it's not what you earn. It's what you do with your money that creates wealth. You can earn $50,000 a year and be wealthier than someone who earns $150,000 a year, depending how your lifestyle is. Oh yeah. And we see that all the time. I mean, how, how many times have you heard or seen like somebody who makes millions go bankrupt? It's all oh, yeah. about their spending. You know, it's, it's all about their spending. And you can, as you said, like you could be making like a pretty s- small salary and still, and if your budget is, is in line with that salary and you can like save money and build wealth with that, yeah. which it's just so true. So like, for example, so women save 0.4% more than men, but uh, there are 40% less women in the market than men. So even though we are saving 0.4% more than men, we're not putting it in a position to grow wealth. Right. So that's another way that men make more money than women is like, annually, they're putting more money into the the market and they're making and losing more and women are playing it safe and they're keeping it in their checking accounts. And why do you think that is? Um, I think it is a hundred percent because of financial literacy. Women are, so the, so women take associate's degree, 61% women. So that's more than men. If you think of a population of 50, 50, 57% of bachelor's degree, 60% 60 of people who have master's degree are women and 52% um, have a doctoral degree. So we are highly educated, highly motivated to learn and to grow. Yet when it comes to finances, there's just this massive, this massive lack of education. Women, it's not that it, it, it isn't, so it isn't readily available in a way that's digestible. And also women don't want to do it because if the information is out there, I think that in certain, in certain areas there, I mean, there's just by and large has been oppression of financial literacy, like especially in um, disenfranchised communities for sure. Like banks wouldn't give them people of color loans you know, like that is a hundred percent real, but I think for the majority of the people like we know who are not invested in the stock market, who aren't, who aren't building their wealth that way, who are in debt, all that stuff. A lot of it is that they don't even know where to start and they don't know what to look for. And women are extremely education driven. So there's a lack between what they're learning and what they're doing or those two things are combined, what they're, what they're not learning, they're not doing. Yeah. Learning it, they would be doing it. Yeah. I do think that there, I mean, I totally agree with everything you said. And I think it's such a good point. I do think that there's also this, like, what's the word this, it's just like this thing that happens from when, even when we're super young, I feel like society teaches men about money and that that doesn't happen in the same way for women and so it's like yes there are the resources and yes like you can seek it out and I think that you can't ever take away the fact that like you're responsible for your own money but at the same time I think that there needs to be like more education about money given to women from a young age 
So when you say society, like, what do you mean exactly? What do you mean? So you said, I think society teaches men about money and not women, but like what society? Like everybody. I think that like, it's just a part, it's an unwritten part of the society that we live in, at least in the U S and in Western culture. It's an, it's like an, uh, what's the, the right phrase for it? Or there's like a word for it that I can't think of right now. It's going to come to me later, but it's like the, the un conscious no uh whatever it'll come out yeah it'll come to me but there's this like there's this I guess unconscious is the word we'll use for now there's this unconscious like bias towards men being taught about finance and money like even from in our families in society at large like everywhere it trickles down to everything it's just a part of society and it stems from historical roles that men and women have played like let's say like even in the 1950s which is not that long ago there were a lot stronger roles for men and women to play and so it's like yes we're trying to shift that but to say that it's 100% shifted is like not correct because it not that long ago men and women were in these roles that they were playing across society. So it's like, yes, of course, everybody has needs to like make decisions for themselves and educate themselves. But it's also like, let's try to shift who and who we're teaching about money from a young age. And it's like unwritten messages too, you know, like just even I think about like my family and like things that my parents have said to us growing up, like, I don't know. And I feel like men like feel more pressure to like make money and provide. Like there's just all these unwritten societal rules that like whether or not we buy into them do exist. So I want to break that down a little bit more because so women are actually the ones who are in charge, more in charge of home of the home finances than men. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. statistically, like mm-hmm. so that kind So that's one thing. And then two, like, I want to define when you're saying society, like what society are you talking about? Because in Asia, women are the breadwinners. Women are the ones who run the market. They run the family businesses more than the men do. Men -hmm. are the workers. Men are the ones who go out there and do the manual labor. And the women are the one who run the business and they run the family um, income. And it's the same, it was the same for a lot of people in the same time you're talking about in the 1950s, like the women were the one who were managing the books. Mm. And so I just think we need to be really careful when we're making like grand sweeping gesture, you know, and I don't think you're wrong. I just think that there needs to be more clarification on, on why is it that women don't take charge in their personal finances. And I do think that there is historically reasons for that because men were the breadwinner and men were expected to come home and at least bring home the money. I don't, I don't think bookkeeping was considered um, because, because just because they did, they did the day-to-day bookkeeping, the men went to the financial advisor and invested the money in the stock market. Right, 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 right. So I think that's like something else. Whereas like, so women were like, well, I manage the books, I manage my house. But then in terms of their long-term 
life they didn't have any say over or a lot of women did not have any say yeah that makes and that makes so much sense and it's like such a good point to bring up because and that happens in today's society as well I feel like often like everyday expenses are are like being looked at by women who are the managers of the household but then that long-term plan investing in the future and like thinking about the future relies more on the men of the household. And again, this is completely general. Like we're just talking from our own experience. Totally. Obviously we, un- we understand that there are so many different types of families, but this is like a general, we're just speaking generally about the culture that we live in and that we know. Exactly. So that we can then empower women. Exactly. Um, yeah, so a couple of other points about the wage gap conversation that I always feel is missing is maternity and maternity leave. And Absolutely. so a lot of women stop their career and they take off time. And in America, it's less than in other countries. In other countries, if they take off anywhere from a year to two years, depending on which yep. country they live in. And when you leave your when you leave your job for two years, the best. I mean, in my opinion, I would imagine that the best you can hope for is to make exactly what you were making two years prior. If let's say you took off two years, and so so basically you've had a two year sabbatical, so you've had two years where you could have earned more money and you weren't at least the three percent, six percent, you know, inflation rate that you would get from your company let alone like being promoted or taking another job. So like that obviously affects the average, which is where they get the wage gap averages of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and some women never go back to work, which is another factor of that. Um, and then I think the last part is that um, most women do not negotiate on their first job and thus any other job after that. And they don't turn reviews into opportunities for financial growth. They go, mm-hmm. thanks so much. Okay, bye. I appreciate the <laughs> feedback, you know. Um, and I think, and this is where, like what you were saying about like these unconscious conversations that are happening in our society. It's like m- men have more confidence to ask for money. And I yeah. don't necessarily know where that comes from either. Um, but I know I can only speak from like, from my fiance, he was raised by a lawyer and an accountant. So he was just set up with a very different mindset than, you know, I dated a lot of guys who were not raised that way. And they also right. didn't have great relationships with money and they weren't advocating for themselves either. Like it's not let all men are like that. I just think in those high CEO positions or when you're looking at people who are, who are directors and VPs and, you know, senior managers, um, they got their by also asking for it. And I think a lot of women don't ask for it. Yeah. And I think a lot of that does come back to like unconscious societal messages. Like, and this is just sweeping generalization like this, you know, I know plenty of women who don't fall into this category, but like from a young age, as women we're taught to be more complacent and we're taught to like share and be kind and, kind of put other people before ourselves even like from a young age we're conditioned to be mothers and that's like expected of women and that's a big role where you're like putting yourself on the back burner and so it's kind of like figuring out how to unwrite those 
unconscious biases so that you as a woman can advocate for yourself and feel confident and like teaching girls from a young age to put themselves first. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. I think we're wired to put others first. Literally we're wired to mother. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that doesn't get talked about enough in conversations, especially when, um, I read an amazing book. Um, I think it's, uh, Mars on fire, Venus on ice. And it's the, it's all about the hormone. It's a, it's the prequel to, um, women are from Mars and men are from Venus or women are from Venus, men are from Mars. Mm. And it's all about how we are wired differently. Like from a hormonal level, we are wired differently. So women are relaxed by oxytocin and serotonin and men are relaxed by testosterone. We basically testosterone acts like cortisol to us. It makes us stressed and anxious. So the way that men relax is different than the way we relax. Women get oxytocin by being one-on-one with women and um, by like having their nipple rubbed and like, <laughs> like, I that, love it. Yeah. Like, like when you are breastfeed, if a, if you are breastfeeding as a woman, you are secreting oxytocin, um, which, which is why it makes you fall even more in love with your child. It's like you're biologically designed to fall in love with the child and give and give and give. Yeah, totally. Whereas men um, build testosterone by by two ways, being alone, like being in their man cave or um, doing like being a fixer. So that's like very relaxing for them is when they get to be the superhero and they get to be, and like all of this makes sense. If you think about like the way our society is told like, um, fables and stories and like all of our archetypes are all that right it's yeah. like the superhero coming in strong and saving the day it's like that actually makes men feel really good and relaxed and for women it's that it is that that connection that deeper mothering um relationships yeah yeah it's so interesting I want to read that book oh yeah we'll put the great. we'll put the the book name in the episode notes yeah <laughs> It's really good. Who knows what it's called? Um, it's definitely called men. It's definitely called Venus on Fire, Mars on Ice, or the reverse: Venus on Ice, Mars on Fire. Anyway, really good. <laughs> yeah, it's also. I mean, it's it's also interesting to note that through all the things that we're talking about, you also have to mention that like society was created by men for men. So it's really interesting to think about like, what would the workplace actually look like if it was created by women? It would be completely different because we do have these inherent differences where we value like connection and kindness and all these things that biologically, like we are just more prone to value, but it's, it's like, we're, we're actually working in a system that was created for men by men. And so it's kind of like, what, what do we do here? What do we do from now? Like, this is what, this is the, this is the workplace culture that we live in. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, it's just, it's complicated. I think that the um, suppression of, of our opportunity to, our, our, the suppression of us growing as women, like being independent and strong I think the way that that manifests is like the way women are categorized as being really jealous and catty and backstabbing, um, which is something that I don't think is like 
it's funny because it's like in a lot of movies and television, but like in my interacting with men, I don't see it to the same extent as I do with my girlfriends and women where like someone will go out of their way to like backstab them or they're they're driven by jealousy or they're driven by hate because somebody else is making it. And I can speak to my own truth of when I was teaching yoga and whenever I would see another yoga teacher, like certain yoga teachers, I wouldn't feel this way, but other ones, there would be this like pang and it would feel like there's not enough room for me. Mm. There's not enough room for me. She's already made it. I can't make it like that feeling that there's not enough room. Whereas I think men are inherently taught that they can take up more space. Oh yeah. And I, and I don't, and it's so interesting. It's like um, what they tolerate in little boys and what they tolerate in little girls. Like you were saying, like little boys are allowed to like run around and throw things, but little girls have to be like, okay, now it's time to be calm. And now, you know, it's time to be, uh, it's time to help out. Like it always blows my mind at the holidays with my fiance. Like as soon as dinner is over, it's like all the girls are in the kitchen and I'm like, why is this happening? Yeah. Like, why are all the girls in the kitchen? Yeah. Yeah. It bothers me. (laughs) I just comment on it. I'm like, Hey guys, I see you. Yeah. I mean, I can't complain. My fiance is an equal partner in every way. And we are, we are a team and he pulls his weight so much in our like good I, I have mean, friends thank God. yeah I have friends whose partners are like more traditional where they're they expect like they're not gonna it's like if you want to clean house they're not gonna clean it oh my god I would never be able to be with somebody like that <laughs> at that point to me it's like well whatever I don't need to go off on this but it's like what's the point of even having a fucking relationship it's that it's my favorite like New York Times cartoon of all time I follow that on Instagram and see like all the cartoons that they have there's two of them that I'm thinking of one is literally and I'll we'll post these on our Instagram so people can see but one is like a man and a woman talking and the man's like talking bubble is literally like covering the woman's and so hers is like this little tiny sliver and then his is like this giant bubble and I'm like how many times have I fucking felt this way where it's like I don't have where men just like take up more space so it's like how do we shift that to make women take up more space like it's time and then the other one oh my god I have to just pull up the thing so I can actually read it I'd be very interested to hear what you think about this one AJ I don't think we've talked about this before but it's like one of my favorites Let's see. It's um, one of the New York Times cartoons or the New Yorker cartoons. And it's a man proposing to a woman. And it says, would you do me the honor of taking on even more responsibilities while my life remains largely unchanged? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, I think that women, I... I believe that you, I believe that the work that you can do on yourself creates the life you want outside of yourself. And I believe if you want to be with a person who doesn't pull their weight or who demands a lot out of you, that could be a choice. I think that a lot of women actually would rather that than have to face themselves and make choices Mm -hmm. about who they are. Um, and about what they want. I think it's easier to be like, oh, well, I just can't. 
You know, it's like that friend who always complains about work and it's like, well, go do something about it. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, I feel like that's, I don't think that's always the truth. I mean, when you start to bring in abuse and you start to bring in domestic violence and things like that, it's a very different conversation. And I'm not discrediting anybody's experience who's been through that. But I think a lot of times we have, we have way more choice than we give ourselves credit for. And, um, I think for women, it's really easy to fill our cup. We can do a lot. We're really capable and we're also empathetic. And so we do it because we think we can, but also on the other side of that is perfectionism. Like I could just do it better. Like, I think that's why women sometimes struggle as managers. Cause they're just like, I'll just do the work myself as opposed to delegating and like handing it off to someone, you know, we want to control. We there's, I, there's, there's room for growth. And I just find that when we just focus on like raw, raw men are the worst. I hate men. Not that that's what you're saying. Um, I just think we miss so much of the story and I think there's so much more work that we can do. And, and then I, I know that on the other argument of that, people can be like, we're doing all the work and they're not doing the work. And I'm like, yeah, well, until you figure out what you want, you can't bring somebody else in the conversation and say, let's work together. Like you need to figure out what your needs are, your non-negotiables are. And then you need to go meet your match and see if they'll, they're willing to work with you. And if they're not, then bye. Yeah. And that's the part that people have, I think a lot of people have trouble with is the, okay, then bye part. And it's like, it has to come from, it has to stem from your own self-esteem. Exactly what you're saying. Like you have to know your own self-worth and what you're willing to put up with so that you can get to that point and say, bye, I deserve better. But it's like, that's, that's the, the stopping point for a lot of people where they hit that wall and they're like, well, it's easier to be with this partner, even if they're like not treating me the way that I want to be treated rather than like go find somebody who actually will. Yeah. And like a great example of how I really, I believe that women have so much, we have all the power. So for example, (laughs) you know, my, my fiance and I, we want to get in shape. We've both lost momentum since May. Um, He usually plays broom ball. And when we first started dating, I mean, like I was in like peak fitness, I was working out with a trainer twice a week and I was doing Barry's bootcamp once a week at flywheel and yoga and running around the city. And I was, we were just really fit. And then I moved to DC and we kind of lost that. And he said to me the other day, he's like, I thought you were going to be the motivator and secretly unconsciously, I've been waiting for him to make the move. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a perfect example of like, how, how many times are you waiting for that other person to change something in your relationship? And there's a point I believe, you know, if I'm working out five days a week, you think he's sitting on the couch? Not like he's going to get up and he's going to go work out. There are times though, when you have to be like, I'm doing all this work and you're not contributing, you're not bringing anything to the table. So for example, women and money, like let's say a woman's trying to change her finances. And so she does all this work and then her husband is still going out gambling or they're still going out and they're spending however they want. That's at a certain point, you're like, I can't do this work alone because you're going to bankrupt us. You're going to put us in a bad situation or you're not taking this seriously, but you have to do that work to get there first. Like you can't wait for him to get better at money so you can get better at money. Yeah, it's so true. And and then that is where the accountability piece comes in. It's like, you have to hold yourself accountable before you go looking at other people and like trying to hold them accountable. Exactly. It's like practice what you preach, honestly. Yeah, it's a good point. 
Yeah. I, I love how it's really the thing that you talk about often, which is like when you have a disagreement or an argument with somebody, it's like the, what the first step is like asking yourself, like, what can I take accountability for in this situation before you actually go and like discuss anything with them? And I think that's so important. And it really does relate to money because what we're really trying to get across is like, you have the power to get your finances in order and like only you do nobody's gonna do it for you like you got to do it for yourself and and what I've found personally is like when I really started to do that and like get my finances in order it affected my entire world and all the people around me and it really was like a leading by example thing because I started talking about it with my friends I started talking about it with Frankie and even my parents and I started to really like lead by example, which was like, that, that's really all that you can do. Yeah. Um, I have a, a random example of that is when I started getting my finances in order, I was standing with one of my camp friends from when I was, we've been friends for like 20 years. And I remember, I was looking at her face and I remember thinking that she used to abandon me And I'm looking at her and I'm like, she never abandoned me. She's standing right here. And I projected that she was because of all the times I abandoned myself Mm. and getting my finances in order was the proclamation that I wasn't going to abandon myself anymore. And because I like changed inside and I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. Everybody around me changed. And I was like, oh my God, you're standing right here and you've never left me. And I always associated this past trauma that you left me and you never did. And it was so powerful. And that is what happens when you prioritize your finances, because it's, it's like what I went to a soul cycle class yesterday outside and they were like, what you can do on your, on your bike is what you can do in life. And To an extent, that's true. I mean, it's the same thing. When you start showing up for your finances, when you start taking them seriously, it just, it ripple effects changes every area of your life. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, it's exactly what we posted on our Instagram today. Everybody's bad with money, which everybody should go follow because we post lots of updates about the podcast, as well as really interesting quotes and tips and tricks and just like thought promoting thought-provoking things that I think everybody should be thinking about. But one of our queens is Susie Orman. We love her. And she always says, money is a physical manifestation of who you are, Mm -hmm. which is so true. It's so true. Like the way that you treat your finances is the way that you treat yourself and the people around you. Because if you are like lying about money um, in like, a lot of debt and not facing it, you know, not asking for a raise or feeling like you're not valued at work, but not saying anything about it. Like that's going to translate into so many other parts of your life. And that's how you treat yourself in every other part of your life as well. Yep. Truth. I have one question for you about this whole wage gap thing that we're talking about. Yeah. So what, what do you think when you see articles that, talk about the wage gap, give you charts, give you some like breakdowns of the percentages in the U S let's say, I mean, we've all seen it, you know, like white man, hundred percent, white woman, 80%, like 
you know, goes up Asian women, whatever. And it goes like down the line of what percentage different races of women are making against that white man. Like, what do you say to that? Um, so I don't know what that's going to do for changing the wage gap. All I know is that if you're willing to go and advocate for yourself, you're more likely to make more money. Yeah. So I don't know what that conversation is trying to do. Is it trying to get, um, you know, CEOs of company or CFOs of company to go to all the women and give them a 10% raise? I don't, I don't know if that's what that conversation is doing. Or is that conversation just trying to give you, try, just trying to make you feel like shit? I, I'm not, I'm not actually sure what that, what that conversation does. All I know is what I can control. I can't control the CEO and CFO. I don't have that power. Now, if I did have that power, if that article is meant for the CEOs to take action, then, then that's great. Then, then, but but then I guess this gets me to the spiral down of, you know, what is equality? Um, and equality of outcomes when you have two people, a man and a woman with the same education, exactly the same background, and he gets paid more because he negotiated and she didn't. Like, I don't even know if that's necessarily true. Like, how do we... How, how can we make such grand sweeping gestures based off of gender is, yeah. my, is my feelings about it. And I know it's kind of controversial and I should be like, I'm a woman and therefore I should say women should make more money. But, and I'm sure that most women should be making more money than what they do. But for example, um, I, we were talking about this earlier, not on the podcast, like you felt really undervalued at your job and that you weren't getting paid appropriately. And I just recently was working for a company and I was making really crappy money, but I didn't feel undervalued at my job because I was in, I was so in, involved in the, the financials that I knew that was all they could pay me. Like I wasn't, I never really felt like they were taking advantage of me because I knew what they could afford. Yeah. And that was totally a, a different experience for me because I knew that the CEO of my company was worth and was making like billions and billions of dollars. And then I was getting paid under minimum wage. And so for me, it was more that the company was making it very, very clear to me that my work and me as a person, like I wasn't valued. And I mean, on top of that, there were so many other things about the company that like, I really didn't like, but also I think there was this, uh, there was this like unspoken rule that, that you couldn't ask for more money, not even unspoken, but like very, very spoken because they set the bar for everybody across each level. And you were so replaceable because they made the culture look so good from the outside that they could hire as many people as they needed to replace you. So it's just, it wasn't only the money, but it was like all these other things that they were doing that just made every single person across the company feel so undervalued. A really good, um, good book that I recommend is, uh, what's it called? It's the, it's a book. 
oh, disrupted. It's it's my my misadventure in the startup uh, bubble or something like that. I know it's called disrupted, but it's all about this guy who um, used, was a journalist at like the New York Times or something, and then goes and works at HubSpot, which is a company very very similar to the one that I worked with, and he like exposes their financials pretty much and like how the company is set up so that the people at the top are making a lot of money and they have like all these workers who are severely underpaid and it's all about the work culture and like creating a culture where a ton of people will want to work there but then realizing like once they do actually work there that the the like free coffee and snacks don't actually make up for a livable salary. Right. Right. So, yeah, I think it's a, uh, it's a conversation worth continuing to have. I just wonder what so many of those, those articles are trying to do. It's yeah. like, yeah. wouldn't it be more helpful to tell, give, teach women how to negotiate or like how to really, uh, take advantage of their biannual reviews or, yeah. uh, or like the averages in, comp- in in industries so people can kind of get a benchmark on like what their industry is. I just like, I don't know if it's, I, I'm, I, I've had this conversation so many times and there are a lot of people who really disagree with me and I still don't really understand their points. Yeah. Well, to me, I mean, I don't disagree with you. I think everything you said is like such a good point. And I do think that, I do think that that would be like actually writing articles or give providing information for people to be able to help themselves and not just like sending out all these stats and saying like all right these are these are the stats and it also just is like in our society in general we tend to look at things and not dive deeper like I think those the articles with those statistics are just like a starting off point to show you the reality of of what's happening in our country because like these numbers aren't wrong you know like this is the the reality but it's like what is underneath that, which is what we're talking about. It's like, let's actually talk about like how we got to where we are and what we can do to change it. And I do think that those numbers are important to see because I'm sure for a lot of people that was super eye-opening and they didn't realize that there even was the wage gap. But then it's like, once we have these numbers and we look at it, what's the next step? And like, let's unpack it even further, which is just like an issue in our society in general. I mean, think about how many people are just like reposting headlines of articles without even reading it. Yeah. You know, it's, it just, yeah. I mean, we've talked about this extensively. I think also, um, um, I think it creates a lot of animosity and fear-based mania and also, um, like resentment. So you go into work and you have a coworker who's a guy and you're like, Oh, well, I'm not going to do as much work because he's making more than me. Like some scenario, I mean, he might be making more than you. He might not be, but it doesn't get the job done. It's like, okay, well, what do we like? And I guess this comes down to it's being an integrity, right? You know, you gotta, you gotta show up and do your job and do it well and hope that you're rewarded. And if you're not, it's time to leave. And it's like, goes back to our conversation. If the relationship isn't giving you what you need, it's time to leave. If the, if your job isn't giving you what you need, it's time to leave. It's bet on yourself, trust in yourself. You are employable. It, it's that affirming you are employable. You will find work. Um, if you have your finances in order, if you have an emergency fund, if you have, 
Um, if you don't have any debt, like it's a lot easier to make these decisions to leave. The reason why people don't leave their situations is because they're in debt because they don't have control over their finances. So get in control of your finances so that you can finally make decisions that are in alignment in alignment with your values. You know, yeah. if your job isn't supporting you emotionally, you feel like you're undervalued, then it's time to leave. Yes. And that is to me, one of the most one of the key parts of helping women and people get their finances in order is because it gives you that flexibility. It gives you the option to get out of a bad situation. And I have felt this firsthand being in a company where I was so unhappy, I didn't feel valued, but I was in so much debt that I didn't feel like I had the option to leave until I found something better. And it was just months and months of being miserable because I didn't set myself up to have this change. And I mean, we even saw it with like the coronavirus, like how many people didn't have financial stability who got screwed. And it's like, you never know what the world's going to throw at you. You never know how something could shift. You could get a new manager who you hate, who makes your life miserable. If you have that emergency fund in place and you have your finances in order, you're going to have the option to yeah. go out and look for something better. Yep get out of a bad relationship. You know, if you are in a bad relationship and you are dependent on this person financially, it makes it so much harder to leave. Like empower yourself, give yourself that choice because you never, ever know what life is going to throw at you. Yes. Yeah. So we got through one of our topics, (laughs) but I knew that was going to happen. Yeah. I just That's think okay. it's, it's worth, it's worth having this conversation over and over again in the sense, and because we have a different perspective on it and it's get your money in order. Yeah. Stop looking at the numbers of the wage yeah. gap and yeah. start getting your finances in order. Yeah. And I, and I also do want to say though, that as we talked about at the beginning of this episode, like we're not, we don't want to stress people out. Like these things take time, you know, like it does take depending on your debt and your situation, a year, 18 months, two years to really get yourself in a position where you feel good. But that first step is educating yourself, you know, listening to a money podcast, looking at your finances, like actually starting to budget. And it's like the little steps that will, that will provide for your future self. And so it's like, you know, everybody take a deep breath we're going to get there together and these things will take time, but like, you got to start somewhere. Yep. Yeah. So on that note, Amelie, what are three things you're grateful for? Mm, I am grateful for amazing November weather. I got to be outside all weekend and it really just like reset my whole, my whole self. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am so grateful for you and specifically grateful that we have a platform to like have these really important conversations because I do think that in a way we, we have very similar opinions and then we also have very different opinions on a lot of things. And so I'm glad that we're able to share and learn from each other. Um, and I'm grateful for, Oh God, so many things. I'm grateful for all my plants. I'm looking at them right now and I just have so many and they bring me joy. And I have a specific part of my budget 
for plants and plant care because that's how much they mean to me. <laughs> totally fair. What about you? Um, I'm super grateful that we have a president elect who cares about the environment and social justice issues. And I feel safer for my future children knowing that he's going to be president. Um, I especially, and knowing for the human race that we're going to be able to survive this, a, this, the environmental shifts that are bound to happen. Um, I am grateful that Brett and I got approved for a puppy. <gasps> We're getting what? a puppy. Oh, AJ. I know. It's all in the budget. Don't worry, guys. Okay. We got a puppy. Um, oh, my God. And then I'm grateful. Today is me and Brett's one-year engagement anniversary, so I'm super Congratulations. grateful. Congratulations. one year. And we're wow. getting married in that went so fast. So fast. We're getting married in a uh it actually it went like slow fast. Okay. Days were fast, weeks were slow. I don't know, something like that. But yeah, super excited to get married to the love of my life. So beautiful. That's it. That's lovely. Congratulations to you. Thank that you. That is a big accomplishment. And yeah, amazing. Amazing. So until next time. Until next time, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Again, follow us on Instagram at Everybody's Bad With Money. We post a lot of updates about the podcast, tips and tricks related to money and self-care and lots of other things. And uh, please also send us your questions. We have our email um, is everybodysbadwithmoney at gmail.com. Um, and you can also DM us on Instagram. We actually already have a couple people who've messaged us with things that they're interested in, in learning about. So the more questions, the more money stories we have, the better, the better our content will be and the more we can share with you guys. Have a wonderful night. Bye, everybody. Bye.